Chapter Five of the Life and Adventures of Michael Armstrong, the Factory Boy. This is a LibriVox recording. Chapter Five: A Separation of Loving Hearts, A Specimen of Finished Composition, Condescension and Generosity. Sir Matthew Close Little Michael with His Own Hands. While the superintendent in his serpentine course homewards scattered the tidings of his master's munificence towards the factory boy michael armstrong and his mother indulged themselves in a few parting words and very tender caresses the mother continuing to repeat at intervals be sure darling to be a good boy and do what you bid while the son reiterated his entreaties that she and teddy would take care one of t'other and have him back again spite of everything if they found that they could not do so well without him but even while this went on michael was improving his toilet by putting on the more carefully patched garments which had hitherto been kept sacred for sundays when this operation was completed and his hair face and hands made as clean as the joint efforts of himself and his mother could contrive to make them the little boy turned to leave the miserable shed that had been his home with a reluctant step and heavy heart retracing the short distance between his mother's bed and the door once and again to take another kiss and to repeat with increased earnestness the questions isn't there nothing more i can do for you mother before i go away and will you be sure to tell teddy to stop for me morning and night at the gate in the lane where it all happened will you mother but at length the lingering separation was completed and michael set off upon his return to dowling lodge in the meantime sir matthew himself had not been idle but retiring to his study he composed a paragraph for the county newspaper which after considerable study and repeated corrections was at length completed and dispatched by the post in a feigned hand the wax being stamped with the handle of the seal instead of his arms and the postage paid the paragraph ran thus english benevolence there is perhaps no class of men so cruelly misrepresented as the manufacturers of great britain surrounded on all sides by a population of labourers crowded together exactly in proportion to the quantity of work the neighbouring factories are able to furnish they are continually reproached both with giving too many hours of employment to their poor neighbours on the one hand and with the poverty which is the inevitable lot of operatives with large families on the other that all manufacturers however are not the cruel mercenary tyrants they are so often and so unjustly described to be was shown within the last few days by an incident which occurred near the town of ashley not a hundred miles from capital d blank l blank g capital l blank d blank e the owner of that splendid mansion while escorting the amiable lady blank blank round his grounds had occasion to remark some symptoms of a very noble disposition in one of the children belonging to a neighbouring factory on his estate on making inquiries he discovered him to be the son of a poor widow whose failing health made her and her orphan children peculiarly eligible as objects of charity this fact having been satisfactorily ascertained sir capital m dash t h dash w capital d dash l dash g gave way to the warm impulses of his generous heart and adopting the little orphan among his own children at once gratified the gentle feelings of his amiable nature and set them an example which it is impossible they should ever forget it is more easy for the recorder of this charming anecdote to relate thus the principal circumstances of it than to enter into any detail of the numberless delicate traits of character exhibited by sir capital m capital d dash l dash g in the course of the transaction 
those who know him thoroughly will however be at no loss how to supply these and those who do not would scarcely understand the description were it given with all the detail possible the value and the accuracy of the statements contained in this announcement belonged wholly to the author of it the phraseology to a private m s digest of newspaper eloquence the result of many years of steady research during which no morsel of fine writing that might assist in such occasional addresses to the public as the present had been ever suffered to flow down the stream of time and perish without having been first carefully noted in the night's repertory of fine periods having concluded this business sir matthew dowling rang his bell as it was only the study bell it was answered as usual by one of the housemaids where is the little boy my dear that i sent into the servants hall last night inquired sir matthew upon my word sir matthew i can't tell she replied adding in that tone of familiar confidence which her master's condescension encouraged but if you sent him into the hall sir matthew he never got there nor never will you may take my word for that as long as madame thompson reigns the housemaid was not a beauty none such as was before stated ever made part of lady dowling's household but she was a wit and sir matthew was too clever himself not to feel the value of cleverness in others he therefore raised his eyebrows in a comic grimace very good-humouredly chucked the maid under her ugly chin and instead of putting himself in a rage as might have happened under other circumstances he only said and how was that my dear come tell me all about it i like your stories peggy they're always so funny whose stories wouldn't be funny sir matthew if they told of the airs and graces of mother thompson replied the lively damsel she's for all the world like an old owl as sits winking his eyes and trying to look wise but she's a prime favourite with my lady peggy and into the bargain knows a thing or two about soups and hashes so we must be very respectful my dear in talking of her but as to her daring to say that the boy i ordered into the hall was to be turned out of it that's rather more than possible i think that's because you don't know mrs thompson sir matthew i only wish you had heard and seen em last night she and the butler and mrs fine airs my lady's maid and mr fine airs my lady's footman if it was not enough to make one sick i wish i may never see you again sir matthew they are a confounded impertinent set of rubbish replied sir matthew but still without losing his good humour however all people of fashion that is rich people peggy always do have a confounded impertinent set of servants about em that's one of the great differences between high people and low to be sure you must know best sir matthew replied the saucy grisette but with a look and accent somewhat ironical i don't mean to doubt that in the least i'm sure but in the places i've lived at lord wilmot's lord crampton's and such like i never did hear of my lord's commands being treated in that fashion they might have their jokes in the hall and the housekeeper's room too no doubt of it and impudent enough if you like it but for downright flat disobedience i never did hear of such a thing sir matthew on hearing this became rather white about the lips and red about the forehead but peggy knew the rising storm was not at all likely to fall on her so nothing daunted she went on i don't think i should have taken much notice of it sir matthew if it hadn't been for not liking to see you treated with disrespect for i'm not over and above partial to beggar children myself but that sort of natural dislike was nothing in comparison to my feelings about you sir and if i had been placed in power instead of having none your will would have been obeyed if every servant in the house had flowed at me for it 
you're an excellent girl peggy replied the knight approaching her very condescendingly you know well enough that you are a favourite and i know well enough my dear that you deserve to be so and i tell you what peggy i'll take care to let those animals my servants know that i am master here as well as in the factory and that my word is law and so it ought to be sir matthew replied the obedient domestic i hope i know my duty too well to dispute my master's will in anything and as she spoke she very meekly yielded herself to receiving the condescending salute with which sir matthew was pleased to reward her excellent sentiments you are an excellent good girl peggy he resumed after this little interruption and don't fear but i shall find means to reward you but you must give me your help my dear to confound the impertinence of these fellow-servants of yours if i don't make em wait upon that beggar's brat as if he was their lord and master never trust me with a kiss more where is the little factory vermin peggy i ain't able to answer you sir matthew all i know is that mrs thompson marched us all out of the kitchen where she sat in judgment on him last night and there he was left with the kitchen-maid and the fat cook but what's come of him since i am no ways able to say on hearing this sir matthew raised his hand towards the bell but suddenly recollecting himself he smiled and said no no that won't do peggy will it go my dear and ask where the boy is and then come back and tell me the damsel in return furtively smiled too in acquiescence and approval of his discretion and upon leaving his study for the purpose of prosecuting her inquiries among the servants she encountered the object of them as he entered the back door on his return from visiting his mother's cottage so here you are then well you must come along this minute to sir matthew said she addressing him somewhat gruffly and not too well pleased perhaps at this interruption to the confidential conversation with her master which it had been her purpose to renew but to the ears of michael the name of sir matthew was sufficient to render all other words indifferent and conscious only that into his dreaded presence he must go if commanded to do so he followed the girl with a beating heart and in a few minutes stood pale and almost breathless before the awful countenance of the great man sir matthew gazed at him for a moment with a sort of sneer which if interpreted skilfully would have been found to address itself inwardly sir matthew could not choose but sneer at the whimsical arrangements of accidents which had converted him into a mr allworthy the sneer however as far as it concerned himself had no mixture of contempt in it had another done this thing thought he should i not have called him fool and is it not ninety-nine chances to a hundred that thereby i should have described him truly may the same be said of me no by the living god it may not how now little boy you have made yourself smart i see vastly fine indeed an inch of clean dallas a piece of span new green baize for a patch a pair of bony legs without stockings and magnificent shoes i did not say a pair peggy but very magnificent shoes one i suppose won in a battle from a giant and the other from a dwarf fine as a prince isn't he peggy and he thus jeered the little fellow his eye wandered with malignant jocularity over his person which was in truth the very model of makeshift poverty while the child as he felt his eye palpably crawl like a reptile over him shuddered he knew not why then changing his tone so suddenly as to make even the confiding peggy start he continued you horrid lump of rags stand back 
stand back 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 behind that high chair d'ye hear stand close and stand still if he does not make me as sick as a dog peggy let me never smell musk more he does smell horrid bad to be sure sir matthew replied the girl hadn't i better take him back to molly the kitchen-maid and make her scour him no hang him that won't take it out of him i know em all no peggy let the scouring alone and just go upstairs to the nursery-maids and tell them to send me down a good handsome suit of clothes complete of master duodecimus's he is the nearest in size to this scaramouche and i will dress him peggy as if he were the son of a duke it will be fun capital fun and will it not be generous peggy generous sir matthew it will be past all belief what him to be dressed up in the clothes of master duodecimus oh my sir matthew you must surely be joking i'm as serious as an undertaker girl get along with you and do what i bid you the longer you're about it mind the longer i shall have to sit in the same room with the ragamuffin in his own full dress so make haste if you please this was said in the manner to remove all doubts as to the munificent knight's being in earnest and the active peggy went and returned with as little delay as was consistent with the necessity she felt herself under of entering into some short explanation with the nursery ladies one and all of whom seemed much inclined on the first opening of her mission to treat the whole business as a hoax when at length however she had succeeded in making it apparent that sir matthew was waiting for the suit of clothes in a most monstrous outrageous fashion of a hurry the messenger's arms were speedily loaded in exact conformity to the orders she had brought and she returned to the night's study with all that was needed to convert the rude exterior of little michael into the nearest resemblance that nature would permit to the elegant and accomplished master duodecimus considering the loathing and disgust manifested by sir matthew towards the person and the poverty of his protege it was extraordinary to see the amusement he seemed to derive from dressing him up though the alert and obedient peggy stood close by to do his pleasure it was his own large hands that thrust the little limbs of michael into the clothing he chose they should wear and it was amidst shouts of laughter from both that the ludicrous metamorphosis was completed but somehow or other when they had finished their masquerading work the result was not altogether what sir matthew anticipated the clothes were very handsome well-made clothes and as poor michael notwithstanding his leanness was a very handsome well-made boy the incongruity between them seemed to vanish in the most unaccountable manner as the operation drew towards a conclusion peggy however was not such a fool as not to understand what was expected of her so when the knight catching up his son's tasselled cap pressed it down upon the little curly head as a lusty packer of worthless goods thrust down the cover that is to enclose them and then pushed the child towards her with an impulse that nearly brought him upon his nose she very judiciously renewed her noisy laughter exclaiming did any one ever see such a little quiz quiz girl replied sir matthew eyeing him with no very fond expression it would be well for the scamp if that was the worst you could say of him i know a thing or two peggy and that boy will be lucky if he gets drowned i'll bet a hundred guineas that with a few lessons he would forge any writing you could show him and before he is twenty he will have taken as many shapes as turpin that boy was born with a halter round his neck i want no gypsy to tell me that during the whole of the undressing and redressing operations the boy's cheeks had been dyed with blushes and his eyes so fixedly nailed to the floor 
that neither sir matthew nor his maid had been able to enjoy their embarrassed expression but as this dark prophecy fell on him he looked up and it was well for him that his munificent patron at the same instant turned his mocking glances towards the servant as he said there gather up his rags girl and be sure you wash well after it for had he met that speaking young eye he could hardly have misunderstood the scorn that shot from it as it was however he saw nothing but the patched garments that were scattered round and once more sneering as he looked at them he added lead the little blackguard through the servants hall and into mrs thompson's parlour d'ye hear peggy up to her very nose and tell her that i have sent him to pay her a visit and when she has had enough of the compliment lead him round to mademoiselle's room and we'll have a little fun among the children by no means displeased with an errand which permitted her to affront with impunity the autocrat of all the offices peggy gathered together michael's discarded wardrobe and then clutching hold of his hand led him bon gré malgré to the presence of the imperious housekeeper mrs willis my lady dowling's own maid and mr jennings my lady dowling's own man were enjoying with that important functionary a slight morning repast of fruit cakes and wine and at the moment peggy and her charge entered they were enjoying some very excellent jokes together but mr jennings no sooner cast his eye on the little factory boy than he arose looking rather abashed at being caught by a drawing-room guest of even nine years old with a glass of claret in one hand and a slice of pineapple in the other peggy to whom the conciliatory smiles of this gay gentleman did not descend enjoyed his mystification exceedingly and relaxing her rough hold of michael's wrist she led him respectfully towards the table saying my master has sent this young gentleman to pay you a visit mrs thompson perhaps he would like a little fruit there my dear that's the housekeeper sir matthew told you of and if you will please to go and sit down by her i dare say she will give you something nice mr jennings immediately placed a chair beside the gracious mrs thompson who after filling and setting before the young gentleman a plate with whatever she supposed would be most agreeable who is it peggy i didn't hear never a carriage before she could or at least before she would answer michael who had not accepted the chair offered to him took his cap from his head and with considerably more courage than he had yet shown said i am michael armstrong the factory boy who what screamed the housekeeper what bold joke is this mrs peggy perkins do you think you have got a patent for your place that you dare play such tricks as this if i keeps my place i don't think i shall have to thank you for it ma'am replied the favoured housemaid with very little civility my master ordered me to bring the boy to pay you a visit those was his very words mrs thompson and as i was bid so i have done there's some people as will do everything and anything they are bid observed mrs willis again drawing out her favourite smelling-bottle while with the other hand she extended a wine-glass to mr jennings for a little madeira which she felt was absolutely necessary to support her in this very disagreeable emergency master or no master sir matthew dowling doesn't know how to behave himself it's i says it and i don't care who repeats it to him mr jennings stared at the factory boy for a full minute very attentively and then gave a long low whistle at the same time turning his eyes with a look of much intelligence full in the face of the housekeeper he isn't at all like any of em mrs thompson said he mrs thompson shook her head there is nothing at all in that mr jennings i'm sorry to say but remember i do desire and insist that the subject is never alluded to in my presence again 
when i lived with his grace i always made it a rule that none of the household should ever discourse in my presence of anything that it was not decent to hear well ma'am said peggy when you have done looking at him he is to go into Momsell's room for the children to see him the housekeeper the lady's maid and the footman all simultaneously lifted up their hands and eyes to heaven please to let me put on my old clothes and go home said michael you little ungrateful wretch explained peggy when sir matthew dressed you up himself with his own hands what do you mean by that you bad boy they'll laugh at me said michael resolutely and i don't like it you don't isn't that a good one said mr jennings clapping his hands in ecstasy oh lord pray let us have him back again mrs peggy that is to say if sir matthew can bear to part with him he's the finest fun i've got sight of this many a day you must find fun for yourself mr jennings for i shan't be at the trouble of bringing you none replied the self-satisfied peggy again seizing the hand of michael and leading him off well for a broom-maid i hope she's saucy enough said mr jennings but the subject of his remark was already beyond hearing threading her way through the long stone passages which conducted to the opposite wing of the mansion the whole of which was appropriated to the younger branches of the dowling family End of chapter 5